Lord, you know I feel totally inadequate. But I know you're the God who is and full of power. And Father, we know you can speak to everyone here. No matter what I say, you can speak to them. So we ask in the name of Jesus, through the power of his blood, that you will speak to everyone here, Father. You know the burdens, the, the needs in their lives. Lord, just pour out your love on them right now. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I had something horrible happen to me 20 years ago. I turned 40. <laughs> and it was terrible. My friends, I call them my ex-friends, did one of these horrible parties where they roast you. You know, black balloons, black crepe paper. They had a, a cake that looked like a tombstone, and on it it said, Janet Page's youth has died. And just all kinds of gag gifts, and I'm going, what did I do to deserve this? And the next morning at home, people kept honking their horns as they're driving by. And I went and looked out the front window, and I could see the back of a sign on my front yard. And so I went out to look at it, and it says, honk your horn, Janet Page's youth has died. And so I was going to take it down, but my little boy was there with his body against it, not letting me. And fortunately, it started raining, and the sign came down. But he had been told by adults, you keep that sign up. Don't let your mom take it down. So he went out to the garage, got a hammer, and was going to try to put it up. But he couldn't get it up on the wooden stay, couldn't get it to stay. So he comes and says, Mommy, can you help me? I said, No, no way. <laughs> so this little guy, who's now a pastor, pastor, he's a very determined young man, stood out there in the rain, holding, it was fortunately just misting, holding that sign so everybody could see what happened to his mother. <laughs> Pretty soon, though, the, the cars, everybody had gone to work, so the traffic died down, so he gave up and came into the house. But I tell you that because I don't know how it is for you. For those of you who are young, you don't know what I'm talking about yet. <laughs> You can't wait for that day you'll get to drive a car. You can't wait for that day you'll get to meet someone and marry or, or when you'll be able to go to college and have a career. And it's just like, oh, it'll never come for that time. You get to do those things, whatever it may be you desire. And then all of a sudden, it all starts happening. And pretty soon you know, at least for me, I was in my 30s and, and life just started getting faster and faster and faster. I felt like I was on a steam engine, you know, they just go faster, faster, faster. Where does it stop? And it's like, it's not bad things, but it's just all these good things coming at you. And you say, I can't do them all. I can't do them all. What really matters? What, what did I do today is going to make a difference in my kids' lives, in my neighbors' lives, or whoever. And I thought, you know, it's been so fast to my 30s, because, I mean, it starts coming fast by the time you get there, and it starts really going fast when you get past that. If, for those of you who are trying to still figure out my age, I'm 60. So, um, <laughs> but I thought, you know, it's been so fast to my 30s. Pretty soon I'll be 40, then 60, then 80. What really matters? And as I thought about it, I remember the year in academy, I was 17 years old, I think, when my Bible teacher tells us that we need to be spending time with God. That was a new concept 
back in the Stone Age when we had you know, square tires and it's made out of stone. And I, I raised my hand and I said, why? I mean, I go to church, I try to be good, I try to study the Sabbath school lesson. Why, what are you talking about? And he said, if you don't take time, spend time with God, you're not gonna know God. And if you don't know God, you're not gonna love God. And if you don't love God, you're gonna walk away from him. And I said, I don't wanna do that. So after class, I came up to him and I said, well, well if I gotta do this, just, just how do I do it? And he said, well, there's no set way to do it. And he said, just, you know, read your Bible some and pray some. And I said, well, how long should I do this? And he said, well, there's no set amount of time of how long to do it. I said, but you, you got some idea. And he said, well, try 30 minutes. I said, okay, I can do that, I think. And I, he also, at the same time, told us of a verse, which I've mentioned in the seminar, of, that we can claim or to ask God to wake us up. And it's in Isaiah 50, verse 4. And it's the last part. It says, morning by morning, he awakens us to, to listen as a disciple. I didn't read till years later why he wakens us up. The first part of this verse tells, but I never noticed it. I just would always claim that part for him to wake me up. But the first part is, the Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know how to speak the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Now, this is a scripture about Jesus, but it's for us. And the reason God wants to wake us up and have us spend time with him, he wants to help us encourage our lives, but so that we can go out and help others. He will lead us to people during the day, but he wants us to comfort and help like he's helped us in our worship time. It's amazing how you do that. But as a young kid, you know, I'm saying, okay, Lord, wake me up. You know, I don't like to get up early. And he does it. It's amazing. And, you know, it's, it's crazy unearthly hours. You don't want to get up then. But I remember the first time trying this, and, and so I, I thought I had to kneel the whole time, and I'm down there kneeling, and I got my alarm clock, put it right there by the bed, so I could be sure I did the 30 minutes. And, and I'm there, I prayed, I prayed everything I could think of. Then I looked at the clock to see how much time I had left. Only five minutes had gone by. I thought, what am I gonna do with the 25 more minutes? I'm so thankful that we serve a God that loves us so much and wants so much to spend time with each one of us that he'll take us no matter how and show us how to do it. He'll do it, it may be look different for each one of us, but he will spend that time with us and show us how, if we will pursue him. And, but, you know, here I was, 17, trying to do this, and, and I was starting to experience God, but then I got into college, and in college, you know, it's just really busy. And I had the nursing labs and just busy. And I would forget about spending time with God until exam week. And then in exam week, it was, oh, God, if you'll just get me through exams, I promise I'm going to start reading the Bible and spending time with you. Just help me pass. Well, he would. He'd help me pass. And I would try to keep my promise, and I'd start reading the Bible, and I'd start praying and spending time with him. But I'd pretty soon fall out of it again because I'd get busy. And I'd forget about God until the next exam week. And it was, oh, God, if you'll just get me through exams. And I'd try again after that, because he'd help me pass again. And I went all the way through college like this. But I always thought, once I'm done with college, I'm out just working a job. I've got so much time to spend with Jesus. 
right? I didn't know how busy it could be. And now people are telling me, when you're retired, it's so busy. They still don't have time. And it was, I, I thought, you know, I'm working a job, I'll have time, and I don't. And then I got married, and we're going to have a little baby. And I thought, wow, I'm going to get to quit my job. I'm going to stay home with the baby. And I thought I'd have so much time to get to know God and read the Bible. My mother failed to tell me, listen up, young girls, it's a 24-hour-day job taking care of a baby. And on top of that, if you're not working a full-time job, everybody in the church has a volunteer job for you. And it was, oh, Lord, I don't have time for you today. I've got to go help with a vegetarian cooking school. God, I don't have time for you today. I'm going to help with a vacation Bible school and teach the children. Please, Lord, will you bless me? I'm sorry I haven't had time for you, but I'm doing your work. I'll never forget the day I'm driving down the road going, Lord, Michelle wants Bible studies. This is so exciting. Will you bless me? Will you help me? I'm sorry I haven't had time for you. In fact, it's been a while, hasn't it? Maybe a week or so. Uh, but Lord, I'm doing your work. Will you bless me? And before I know it, I'm in my 30s, realizing I know about him, but I don't know him. And I thought, if I don't start doing it now, it's not going to happen. So I started doing it. I said, okay, God, you got to start waking me up again. I'm really going to do it now. I'm going to spend this time with you every day. And I started doing it. And, and I started, like it talks about, enter his courts with thanksgiving and his, his, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So I started doing that, thanksgiving and praise. But I was kind of following the sanctuary kind of prayer. And I would then go into a time of confession. And I'd confess everything I thought I needed to confess. But there was this one particular thought that would keep coming to mind. And I would think, I'm a melancholy. That's not sin. I know it isn't. I just have an over-guilty conscience. And I would try to shove it to the side. But every time I'd spend time with God, the same thought kept coming. And then, at a prayer conference in Oregon, and, and other places where they'd have a group kind of prayer time, the same thought would keep coming. And I finally said, okay, okay, I know it's sin, but I can't deal with it. I don't think Jesus could if he were here. It's just too difficult. Let's just leave it over here. And I thought I could go on having a spiritual experience with my God and totally ignore the sin problem in my life. I didn't realize at the time, I didn't realize till much later, what that did to my whole Christian experience. But God's word became dry to me. I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. It was just boring. And when I prayed, I didn't feel like my prayers were going higher than the ceiling. And, and I just got into this vicious cycle of depression. And I didn't want to live anymore. I just felt like I was hopeless. There's no way God could save me. And I started having relationship problems. So Jerry and I, I had trouble with Jerry and and people around me, and I, I didn't know what was wrong. And I just privately, quietly gave up. Because as a pastor's wife, you don't tell anybody about this. So I just kept going through the functions of, of doing what you have to do with your kids and in a church, but didn't tell anybody. At the time this was happening in my life, Jerry, uh, we had moved, and he became a ministerial secretary. So he's a pastor to the pastors in uh, a a state back east. And he, uh, at the time that happened, he, he uh, went around and visited all the pastors and their wives and found there was a real need among them to have a spiritual retreat for pastors' wives. 
So he really fought to make this happen because you know the budget was tight and nobody thought they could afford it. Well, they had one, and it was such a blessing to the wives. Jerry says, you know, if, if this is good for the wives, think what it would do if we had one for all the women in our conference to, to have a spiritual retreat for them. We tried to get someone to do this, to take it on, but he couldn't get anybody to do it. And I thought he kind of forgot about it. Well, in the meantime, Jerry became the conference president. And one day, someone had handed me a brochure of a women's retreat in another state. And they said, show that to Jerry when he comes home. I said, okay. So when Jerry came home, I handed it to him. He looked at it and he goes, oh, Janet. Janet, that is it. this is what we need. This is what we need for the women in our conference. And I said, uh, he said, don't you think that's what we need? And I said, I don't know. I've never been to one. He said, well, don't you think they need spiritual nourishment and fellowship? And I said, well, yeah, they need revival. Yeah, they need conversion. Yeah, they need that. He said, good, you go plan it. You do it. And I go, Jerry, no, I can't do that. You know I can't do that kind of thing. And he said, well, won't you at least pray about it and see if God wants you to do it? I mean, talk about a guilt trip, tell you to pray about it. And so I, I thought for a moment and I said, okay, Jerry, I'll pray about it. Because I knew I could come back in a few days and tell him, Jerry, the Lord has said I shouldn't do this. Because God knew I couldn't do that kind of thing. I was an extremely shy person. There's no way. But I was not praying at that time in my life. And I told, I forgot about it. But Jerry comes home about three days later from the conference office and tells me he's been voted. He's all excited. Tells me he's been voted by whoever votes things there. I've yet to figure it out that I'm to do this women's retreat. And I'm going, Jerry, how could you go and get that voted? I never told you I'd do this. And he says, well, I was sure that when you prayed about it, God would tell you to do it. <laughs> well, I was now embarrassed. I felt like my name is on the line. You know, some unknown group of people voted for me to do this. I had to do this thing. And so I started trying to plan. And the one thing I knew I needed was God. And so I started once again having my devotions again because, you know, I'd given it up because there was no hope for me. And I started taking that quote to God from Spirit of Prophecy that says his word is his voice speaking to us, just, you know, what we need. So I said, Lord, I need you to speak to me. Tell me what I need to do with this retreat. But I also started begging God. I said, Lord, I don't know you. I don't love you. You know, I want to go to heaven, but I really, at the point right now, I don't even want to live. I said, God, you've got to help me. Help me to love you, to know you. Help me to know that you love me. And I pursued God day after day with this. It took three weeks before it became meaningful. It was not something that happened overnight for me. And I started having this experience with God. But, you know, I had this retreat to plan. I knew enough to have a speaker, but I didn't know what else to do. And then I started realizing nobody's registering to come. I thought, oh, it's because they don't like me. And then I started praying and praying, Lord, please get them to register. Well, they did start registering. And pretty soon we were filling up. And then I thought, what am I going to do with all these women? I don't even know what you do at a women's retreat. And so I was just, you know, a basket case. And one night I was home before everybody else. I'm fixing supper in the, in the kitchen. And and I'm just pacing back and forth, wringing my hands, going, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, I, you know, I can hardly eat any food. I'm so uptight. And the phone rings. And it was a woman who I didn't know very well. She introduced herself. And then she said, Janet, this may sound strange, 
but I feel like God is impressing me to ask you if you wouldn't want to get together once a week to pray for your women's retreat. And who knows, maybe after that, keep praying together. And immediately a peace flooded through me because I then knew God wanted this retreat, not just my husband, but God wanted it, which means if God wants it, it's going to succeed. And so I said, okay, that'll be great. Let's get together to pray. And one thing I have to, I forgot to tell you was before that happened, I had been whining around to Jerry one morning as he was tying his tie to leave for work. I said, Jerry, this whole thing's going to be a mess. I said, it's going to be a big failure. It's going to make you look bad, Jerry. <laughs> and because, you know, he wanted it. And Jerry looks at me and he said, just go do it. And this is before Nike. He said, just go do it. And I said, just go do it. You know, I walked out of there. And, but the thought that came to my mind was, pray for God to send you another woman to pray with. So I started praying that. But you know what? There was one minor detail I forgot about. And that was, at that time in my life, I was scared to death to pray with anybody out loud. You know how it is? These pastors, they go, now let's divide up in threes and fours and pray together. And, they, and you go, ah, ah, I got to go to the restroom, excuse me. Or you pinch the baby, get him crying, do something to get out of the room. Because <laughs> these people, they'll pray these beautiful prayers and I'll stumble all over my words. Or they, they pray these long prayers and by the time they get to me, there's nothing left to pray about. <laughs> you know what I've learned about God though? It's okay. It's okay to pray about the same thing. In fact, it's a good thing. The Holy Spirit prays it through your personality. Or the other thing that would happen to me is I'd start crying. And I thought, you know, I, that's embarrassing. I don't want to cry. And of course, everybody's going to wonder, why are they crying? You know, what's going on? So forgetting all of that, that I was scared to death, I start praying for God to send me somebody. And then this woman, she calls and tells me God's impressing her to pray. So we start to meet to pray together. And she had some other women join us. Do you know what happens when you commit yourself to meet with a group to pray once a week? You'll get busier than you've ever been. I'm telling you, you get so busy. And even troubles may start happening to begin with because Satan is scared to death. He knows the power that's unleashed when we pray together and he'll do anything he can to stop us. But I'm telling you, if you keep doing it, it gets better. And, but literally, I would go with gritted teeth because I said, I got so much to get done and I can't get it all done, but you sent these people. I've got to go pray with them. And that's what kept me going because I knew God had given me the group. So we'd meet to pray. That's the other thing. If you, you start spending time with God every day, I promise you, you'll get busier than you've ever been. And even trouble may happen to begin with because Satan's going to try to stop you. But don't give up. Just praise the Lord and go on with it because it'll get so much better. So we'd meet to pray. And as we're meeting to pray, I'd start praying, Lord, help these women. They need to be converted. God, bring a revival. Bring a revival, Lord. One of the times I'm praying this, all of a sudden, just this loud impression in my mind, Janet, if you want me to help these women, let's work on your life first. I opened my eyes because it was so embarrassing. I just knew everybody could hear. And I opened my eyes, but they're all like this, praying away. So I knew they couldn't hear. So I'm in my mind going, later, God. Okay, I promise I'll deal with it. I promise later. I'm a procrastinator, and I did not deal with it because it, was, it wasn't something I wanted to deal with, and I put it off. Well, my husband heard about in Oregon 
a prayer conference happening. And he tells me about it. He says, Janet, we need to go. We need to go and, and support Don and Ruthie Jacobson who are having it. They were his friends. And I said, oh, I don't have time for this, Jerry. He says, come on, you need to go. So we went. And it was at that prayer conference that I told you about last night, how they had just the group kind of prayer in a meeting like this, a short sentence prayer as people praying, and somebody start up a song, and we start singing together, just praising God together. And then there might be confession or intercession, and people take their Bibles, and they'd be praying Scripture. It was the most beautiful thing. I was too shy to pray out loud, but I just basked in God's presence there. It was so beautiful what happened. But one of the times that's going on, I actually was in a seminar that the Ruthie led us through the encounter with God in prayer. I don't know if you've ever been through that. It's in that handout I have. If you haven't, you might want to try it. But Juanita Crutchmar, God actually gave it to her. Uh, but one, uh, Ruthie was taking us through it in a seminar. And afterwards, as we're walking out, a lady said to me, so did God speak to you during that time? Because all it really is is a time of silence, and you give God a chance to speak to you and ask him, is there anything in your life that's blocking the way of you having a deeper experience with God? And as we're walking out, I go, no, nah, no, nah, God's never spoken to me. I've been through that prayer time at least three times now. No, nah, he's never spoken to me. And I went and sat down in the church, waiting for the main meeting to begin, sitting there next to my husband, just minding my own business. And all of a sudden, that loud impression once again, Janet, I've told you those three times. I keep telling you over and over, I want you to deal with a sin problem in your life. And I go, okay, okay, later, later. You know, I was afraid Jerry could hear the next morning in the motel, now, because, you know, I'd been spending time with God every day, God had been waking me up early. And I'm not an early morning person at that time. It's changing now because I'm getting up all the time with God. God would wake me up so early, and, and it's still dark, and Jerry's still sleeping. So I would get up and there in the motel, and I'd go into the bathroom to spend time with God because I didn't want to wake Jerry up. So I'm in the bathroom there with my Bible, and I'm trying to spend this time with God, and, and I'm realizing he's just not here. And I said, Lord, where are you? I don't sense your presence. And I thought, maybe it's because I'm by the toilet. But then, <laughs> but then I realized, you know, it doesn't matter where we're at. God's, God will be there with us. And so I thought, as I'm saying this, I said, Lord, something's wrong. Where are you? Just that thought came again. Janet, I want you to go call this person now. See, this, you know, I've got a lot of sin problems, but this one particular big one to God was a bitterness, a resentment towards someone. And God had been after me and after me for so long to deal with it. And I said, now, wait a minute, God. You think I need to call them and ask their forgiveness. They're the ones who've done all this bad stuff to me. And I started listing it off to him. And I said, why don't you get them to call me and ask my forgiveness? And if they do that, then maybe I can say a word or two. In fact, I started trying to be nice a few months ago so you'd bless my women's retreat. I could get no response from God, just silence. And I was at the point of desperation because this experience with God had become so special to me, so meaningful. I did not want to lose what was happening. And I was desperate for God that it gave me the courage to get up and go call the person. I also wanted him to bless the retreat, and I was afraid he wouldn't. So I go down the hall to head to the phone, to the payphone, 
And as I'm going down there, I'm just wringing my hands going, God, I hate this person. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I said, I, please have the Holy Spirit come and help me to do it through me. I called them, hoping they wouldn't be home. But it was so early in the morning, I woke them up. And, they, you know, I made a little small talk. But finally, with a prayer, I jump into it and start asking their forgiveness. And I will never forget what started happening. As I started asking their forgiveness, one thought after another started coming to my mind of things I had done to them that I needed to specifically ask forgiveness for. And I was shocked. One after another, every time one came to me, I'd say, would you forgive me for this? I'd name it. Then I'd say, would you forgive me for this? Would you forgive me for this? I started saying, please let it stop. You know, it kept coming. Finally, it did. But do you know what Jeremiah 17, 9 says? It says the heart is deceitful above all things. We don't realize how we come across to others. I was blind to the fact I'd done these things to this person. And, but I'll never forget. Here, you know, I'm, I'm humbling myself, asking their forgiveness, knowing full well that they probably would never ask mine. But God came in and washed me clean of the bitterness and the resentment. And in its place, he filled me with love for them, compassion. And I could be friends with them. We still had some differences, but I, you know, it was just such a change for me. Well, that, that day, you know, we had the prayer conference meetings all day. And I knew for the last couple of days or, or longer, something had been bothering Jerry. But he wouldn't talk about it. And I didn't know what was wrong. And that night, we came back for supper to the, at the motel room. And then he says, you know, I don't want to go back to the meeting. I'm tired of meetings. I'm going to stay here. He said, you can go on to the meeting. And I started praying, well, Lord, you know, I love the meetings. I want to go, but should I stay with Jerry? And I felt like God wanted me to stay. And I, didn't, you know, he, I don't hear any voices, but just this urgency you know, to stay with Jerry. So when I decided, okay, I'm going to stay here with you, Jerry, all of a sudden I get this urge, share with him what happened this morning on the phone. So I start telling Jerry, because, you know, I didn't even want him to know about it because it was embarrassing, but so I started sharing with Jerry what happened. And as I shared it with Jerry, I could just sense this emotional wall coming down in him. And then Jerry started sharing with me, which, by the way, if Jerry were here, he would share this part of the story. I'm not telling you anything that Jerry doesn't share. And, but Jerry starts sharing with me that he was kind of bothered about some things. And he started telling God, why am I here at this prayer conference? I'm a busy conference president. And I'm here, they're telling me how to pray. I know how to pray. We pray in our conference. Why do I need to be here, God? I don't have time for this. And Janet, Janet, if she's so spiritual, getting up so early every morning, how come she has trouble with so-and-so? I had no idea he felt that way till he said that. I always thought he was on my side. That came as a big shock. And as he shared that with me, I suddenly realized this really is a God thing. Do you doubt whether God's leading you or not? I do, a lot. And I'm going, whoa, God really did get me to call him this morning. And as I'm sitting kind of just basking in, in what happened, all of a sudden I get this urge to do something that God had been after me for a number of years to do with Jerry. You know those scriptures in Matthew 23, 12? It's also in Luke 14, 11. In fact, if you have this problem... 
You read the Bible, you can't get away from it. It's just everywhere in Scripture. But it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I never believed those scriptures. I thought, that's for somebody else. I'm not going to be nobody's doormat. Uh-uh. And I always shoved them to the side. God had been after me for a long time that I needed to ask Jerry's forgiveness for a number of things. And I'd always said, no way. If I do that, the next time we have a problem, Jerry's just going to hold it over my head. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But that night, because of what happened that morning, it was such a miracle for me, and God was urging me, it's time for you to talk to Jerry, that I started talking to Jerry and asking his forgiveness for a number of things. And do you know what happened? Just what God's Word says. For years, I'd been trying to exalt myself, and all I'd been is humbled. Now, as I humbled myself, I was exalted. It just drew Jerry and I close together. We cannot go wrong in obeying God's Word. Oh, but it took me so many years to learn that. You know what? You suffer because of that. You have effects in your body, your life, because of it that you don't get rid of. If you're somebody you're bitter or resentful at, or you just don't like, you try to avoid them, pray to get over it. Fast if you need to. Get people to pray for you because it's ruining your life. You know what happens? As much as you want to avoid them and don't want anything to do with them, you will start acting like them. That's what happened to me. I started acting out some of the same behaviors that I hated about this person. What they did to me, I, I hated it. And yet I had started doing it to others. There was such a change in me. My older son, he was then a young teenager, he comes up to me one day and he says, Mom, Mom, you've changed. He said, Mom, would you teach me to know Jesus like you know him? I don't think there's any words that a mother longs to hear like words like that. And my little guy, my younger boy, he was just a little guy, he never heard that conversation. But he came to me one day, he's just bouncing around, he goes, Mommy, Mommy. He said, Mommy, you're so happy now. Mommy, would you teach me how to spend time with Jesus? You know, my sons... We never nagged them that they needed to spend time with Jesus. But they have seen their mom and dad do it day after day through many years. My boys do that. My daughter-in-laws do that. When they come to visit, early in the morning these kids are up because God's woken them up. And they're off in some corner. They won't talk to us. They're, they're huddled with a blanket over their head. And, you know, don't bother me. I've got to have my time with Jesus. It is so precious what God does. But to have that, you know, with my kids. But one day, my, my younger son, for a little while, went through kind of a rebellious time. And I had the school call me up and say he's been suspended. And I'm just in shock. I said, my son, how could he have done that? I can't believe it. We've, we've raised him better than that. And he had a 30-minute or 40-minute drive home. By the time he got home, you know, he's expecting his mother to lecture him. But I made a mistake. I spent time with Jesus and asked God, Lord, why would my son do this? What do I say to him? And just that thought came, why don't you ask me what it is about you that would cause your son to do this? Don't ever do that. Don't ever ask God if you don't want to know. Because I made that mistake, I said, okay, what is it about me that would make him do this? And God told me what it was, and I was in shock. 
my heart was broken. And when my son came home fully expecting his mother to lecture him, instead I sit down with him and I said, Zach, I just spent some time praying after I got the phone call from your school. And I asked God and I told him about it all and I said, Zach, God has forgiven me. I've asked him to forgive me. But will you forgive me for being such a bad example to you? Do you know what that did to a hard, rebellious young guy? He couldn't hold back the tears. We cannot go wrong in humbling ourselves to those around us. And I have to tell you, this, you who are parents, listen to those kids. Listen to those teenagers. Listen to those young adults when they point out something about you that's not quite right. Don't get angry at them, but go to God and pray about it. I can't tell you how many times my sons have pointed something out. And fortunately, I've had the ability to go and pray about it and realize God's working in my life. Maybe you don't have those kind of issues. But I'm thankful for how God has used my sons in my life. But that retreat, all that prayer, once a week, you know, we'd get together and pray. And of course, we're praying through the week too, but praying unitedly together once a week. At that women's retreat, we saw so many miracles happen. A lot of them we didn't know till after the retreat was over with. But I'm telling you, I had several pastors either call me or write me letters saying, what went on at that women's retreat? Our women have come home changed. I had husbands writing me, thank you for whatever happened at that women's retreat. Our marriage has been healed. We had a physical healing happen there. The doctor, two years later, he kept asking to see the woman because he could not believe she could be healed. She'd had the disease for almost 14 years. And he said, this is impossible. You, it couldn't be gone. For two years, he kept seeing her, and he finally said, you know, you were healed at that women's retreat. He says, I don't get it, but, but it's gone. There were husbands that were so happy about what happened. They started calling me saying, could you come do a local retreat at our church here? We, we'll, we'll, we'll cook. We'll do anything. Just come and do the retreat. It was just amazing. But it wasn't what we did there. It was God, what he did there. It's because of the prayer. In this handout, there's more on the back table that I encourage you to get. But this quote, it says, if, and it's quoting Matthew 18, 19, and 20, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Then it goes on, and it's a, a quote from a Spirit of Prophecy. It says, the promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. In answer to these prayers, there may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. There's more power unleashed when we unite together. The power given, listen to this now, the power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love of God for one another. You cannot pray long week after week with a group and not fall in love with them. My best buddies are my prayer partners through the years, and we don't socialize. I don't, ever have, to, I don't have time to socialize, but they're my dearest friends. They're my buddies because they, they, we pray. And what a, a love relationship that gives you with them. But you know, when I came home that first weekend, I didn't know all these miracles yet, but we knew God had really blessed the weekend. Jerry's waiting up. He just can't wait to hear what's happened because remember, he wanted it. So I start sharing with him the miracles. And he starts saying, Janet, that's what we got to do. 
that's what we got to do. And I said, what do you mean that's what we got to do? He said, we've got to start getting together with other families and praying, praying for our community, for the people around us, for our academy. I said, well, okay, I can work that out. I'll get some couples to get together. And so I did. And, and the one thing we did is we all committed that we would spend, I said, spend at least 30 minutes a day just getting to know your God with the Bible, praying. And so we committed to do that. By the way, you know, 30 minutes may sound like a long time. Just do it for five minutes. If you'll read the Bible for five minutes, if you'll pray for five minutes, and then if you'll do some kind of outreach, loving somebody, some kind of service or witnessing for five minutes, you keep doing that every day. I promise you, your experience is going to grow and grow. And on top of that, that ex you'll be wanting more and more time with God. 30 minutes isn't enough. An hour isn't enough. Two hours isn't. You crave to have more and more time with Him. I literally live my life around being able to have that time with Jesus. I don't eat right so that I'll not have a heart attack or not have cancer or I'll live longer. I try to eat right so I'll have the energy and strength to spend more time with my God. I try to walk and exercise so I'll have more energy and strength to spend with my God. It, it, it makes such a difference. We started meeting once a week with these families praying together. Jerry couldn't always join us because of his work, but we kept a list of what we were praying for. Do you know at the end of a year, we saw between over 15 people or so that had been converted, revived. They never even knew we're praying for them. We didn't really have that contact with them, but they were changed. Our academy, we started seeing this revival happen there. One student after another accepting Jesus and wanting to be baptized. It makes such a difference. Ellen White says, why don't we get together in twos and threes and plead for the salvation of a soul? Amen. And then for another one and another one. Do you know, for, for years I've had kids tell my kids, like at Andrews or somewhere, send the word back, thank you for praying with my mother for me. I was converted. I'm now here at school. If we would take time out of our busy schedules... I'm convinced in this great controversy that's going on that when we take that time to pray, we're all busy. But when we take that time, God does mighty things. Amen. But there's more than that. You're spending that time with God, praying alone, reading your Bible, getting to know Him, having a relationship. It's not just a routine. It's not just something you just do. It's a relationship with the God of the universe. Amen. And then you're meeting with a group and you're spending time praying with them or just meeting with a prayer partner. You will be witnessing. I hear once in a while people say, we can't just pray, we've got to work. Let me tell you what, the people who are praying and spending time with God are witnessing. They're winning souls to Jesus Christ. My prayer partners, God led to having a, a, a group that would pray in, in, when I moved to California uh, at the conference office. I didn't want to do that. I was scared to death of the conference office. But I started going there to, to pray with a group, and we pray, prayed about how long should we meet, and God told us three hours. I don't think everybody should do that. And we did the sentence, conversational kind of prayer, and we had our prayer list that my husband would make out that we would pray for, the, for all the needs in our church work there. But when we would pray, you know what happened with these prayer partners? My husband and other people, they wanted anything done, they'd come in there and steal my prayer partners. They make them into lay pastors or whatever because they're the soul winners. They're the ones who are winning people to Jesus Christ. 
if anybody's truly spending time with God with a Bible and praying, God's not going to leave you alone. He's going to get you busy winning people to him because he wants you to share what he's done with you. And you want to share what he's done with you because if you don't, you don't grow. You, don't, you can't experience more of God's love. It, it, it starts to stagnate. It's a kind of a two-way thing that happens. But we moved, we lived there a few years where we were in Pennsylvania. And one thing that happened, when this whole thing happened to me, remember I said Jerry went in as conference president. It was right before camp meeting. And at camp meeting, people started coming up to me saying, congratulations, how does it feel to be the first lady? I hate that kind of talk. And I'd say, look, I wash his clothes the same way I always did. Nothing's changed. Just leave me alone, you know. I didn't say that part. I just said I washed his clothes the same way I always did. Nothing's changed. But inside, I'm thinking, leave me alone. But everybody kept coming up and saying this. Not everybody, just a lot of people. But you know what? The last weekend... It was a 10-day camp meeting. That last weekend, people started coming up and saying something different. They started coming up and saying, we've been attending the seminar that's on the Holy Spirit, and the speaker's been teaching us how important it is that we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives, in our children's lives, in the people around us, in our leaders' lives. And he got us to commit to pray for you and Jerry every day for the Holy Spirit to be in your life. And at that time, somebody had started in the church for us to pray at 6.15 every day. Somewhere in the world, people all around the world praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people had started doing that, and that's why this, this guy was getting them to commit to pray for Jerry and I. So people are coming up saying this to me, and I'm looking at them going, oh, thank you. But inside I'm thinking... Big deal. What does prayer do? Uh, they don't know that my life's a mess. I don't even want to live anymore. My marriage is a mess. You know, I just, I'm miserable. But I couldn't tell them that. But one person after another, they kept coming up saying this. Then for the next two years, we'd be in a different church almost every Sabbath because of Jerry's work. Somebody somewhere would come up to me and say, we're praying for you and Jerry. We're praying for the Holy Spirit in your life. We meet in our prayer groups and we pray for you and Jerry. And I go, oh, thank you. But it was two years later that the story I just shared happened. God's just started pouring out his Holy Spirit on me. I don't ever, ever want to go back to the way it was. I have been forever ruined for the ordinary forever ruined. With that adventure with God, there is no ordinary in walking with him, what he does. And so we moved to California, and God started pulling me into praying with others. It wasn't something I was trying to do. He starts pulling me into it. He gets people to call me, tell me I've got marriage problems. And he would lead me to meet with them and pray. And we'd pray and we'd pray. And we'd ask God, how do we pray? That's so important to do, to ask God, how do I pray for this situation? And we'd see the marriage healed. We'd see the kids come back to the Lord. Just all these things started happening. And then we moved to California, and Jerry said, Jana, we, you know, we need prayer here. They were going to shut down the academy. They were, going to sh or they were looking at shutting it down. It was almost $2 million in the hole and hardly any students. And they were sh wanted to shut down camp meeting. There were people who didn't want it, but they'd already voted to sell the grounds, to shut it down. And... Jerry comes home and he says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I've always seen camp meeting the life of a conference. I said, Jerry, we need prayer partners. And so 
we worked to send out uh, requests for prayer partners. 300 and some people signed up. And plus, I started having a group meet to pray. And do you know that that camp meeting, they let us have one more to try it just to see. Jerry says, I've got to try it, even though they'd voted to stop it. And they voted to let him do it once. We started praying, getting everybody praying. God, fill it with people. If you want camp meeting, you've got to fill this place with people. Fill it with your presence. Do you know God filled it with people? And he filled it with his presence. So much so that people who delivered trailers for people, you know, to rent, lease, started talking about it. The managers, when people called to rent, to rent them, they, he'd go, she, it was a her, she'd say, I don't know what goes on at your grounds, but all my employees talk about it, that when they enter the grounds, no matter how troubled or depressed or miserable they are, a peace comes over them. But we would prayer walk those grounds, just praying over it, Lord, convert people, heal people, do what you need to do on these grounds. And we saw so many people come back to Jesus Christ there and get baptized. Just beautiful miracles happen in lives. Marriage is healed there. And God has filled that camp meeting with so many people that they fight to get in. There's waiting lists to get into that camp meeting. It's one of the largest. It is, I think, the largest. It's thousands of people that are coming there. What he did. But our academy, two, almost two million in the hole. Prayer, prayer, people praying and praying. Within just a couple years, God had it debt-free. It was amazing how it happened. But on top of that, there's old buildings and stuff. They need to be fixed up. So we're praying and praying. God, fix up these buildings and lead to people who can give to fix them up. And God started bringing the students too. And we said, Lord, you can't get an Adventist to give the money. Get some non-Adventist to give the money. Do you know that God brought a non-Adventist that gave over $2 million to fix up that school? It is incredible the things we saw happen. Jerry would tell us there's personnel issues. Get your group to pray for it. Could not tell them the details. You can't do that. Or there's a pastoral couple having marriage problems. Pray for them. We couldn't say the names or anything. But these prayer partners would pray like crazy. And we'd see several of these marriages healed that literally they'd already separated, were filing divorce, come back together. Now, we didn't see them all healed. You know, some you didn't. But we saw the majority healed. And, and uh, personnel issues dissolved that could have been horrible messes just go away. Cherry said, I says, I will never work anywhere again without a team of prayer partners because it makes such a difference to have people praying. But all these miracles we're seeing happening and we're talking about it, it's still you can't get people to believe. And we started praying, Lord, please get people to understand. Lord, do something that will show people the difference prayer makes. And as we prayed that, we started praying, Lord, give us a token, something we can pray for that will show people. And we felt impressed to start praying for our evangelism offering at camp meeting, that God would make it go bigger than it's ever been, that that might show people the difference praying together makes. So we started praying for that. And if they, they were getting 100000 And the place to raise money for the camp meeting offering was, or evangelism offering, it was a camp meeting. This was evangelism offering. So we started praying for that. And do you know that that year we first started praying, 
We were asking God, let it go to, you know, 25,000 over. Well, it did. It went way over. It went like 35,000 or so. Well, people found out about that we were praying for this. And so we're telling them, you know, raise the gold, raise the gold. But Jerry, these guys were scared, didn't want to do it. So we kept praying, Lord, make it bigger, make it bigger. Show people what united prayer will do. Some of the prayer partners started praying for huge amounts. They started praying for half a million. Do you know that that evangelism offering went to half a million? Then some prayer partners started praying for a million. It eventually, it was over a couple of years, but it went to a million. But it never went to just the amount we were praying for. It'd always go over that by 100,000 or something. It would go over that. And when people pledge money, normally I think it's about 90% give pledges or, or actually pay it all off. Do you know we had 111% for several years that paid these pledges? How does that happen? It happens because people, God did such a miracle in their lives paying off their pledges that they would turn in more money. They kept turning it in. What we did was, is we started asking people, instead of begging them to give, we would just say, would you pray and ask God what you should give? We don't want you to give a penny if you shouldn't, but just pray and ask God. Then we give them a time of silence and let them pray about it. And amazing journeys happened with people. People started giving huge amounts that they would never give normally. They'd give these amounts, and then it was such a miracle how God would help them to pay it that they'd have these stories. And so at camp meeting, we started having everybody share their stories. And it became such a way marker, a journey for people. And I'm telling you, people are sitting crying in the audience. You know why they're crying? Because they're realizing their God is alive. Amen. Okay, the offering went over a million. It went over a million for a couple of years. And one year, Jerry says to me, he says, what do you think we should set the goal? Well, I didn't even try to tell him because I knew he wouldn't probably listen to me because, you know, they're afraid to make it go too high for fear it'll fail. But I started privately praying. I said, Lord, what should, we, what should be our prayer goal? What should we pray for? And the I thought came, pray for two million. And I thought, that's almost double what we've been doing, Lord. And people think I'm crazy if I do that. And who knows what they'll think. But I started praying for it. And one day I brought it up to the prayer group and and one prayer partner just shut me down right away. I knew they probably would. They said, we don't need more money. What we need is people to get out there and witness. And so I said, okay, okay. So whenever that person was there, I wouldn't pray for it. But once in a while, I got brave and bring it up. But when it came time for camp meeting, that prayer group, actually, not many of them were at camp meeting. And so people at camp meeting did not know about praying for this two million. They only thought we were praying for the million. And we prayer walked the grounds the Sabbath before, and at one spot, I was with a treasurer, my Jerry, and a, a prayer partner, myself, and, and there, it was a kind of a place where I'd always prayed about the evangelistic offering. And I started praying, Lord, could you please make it two million this year? Well, normally you get amens when you pray something. Dead silence. And I opened my eyes to look, and Jerry's just rolling his head, eyes to the back of his head like, you crazy woman. And the other, the other treasurer and all, they're just like this, no comments. So I didn't say any more about it. But I kept praying for this. And, well, I did say to one other prayer partner, I said, would you pray for this too? But don't tell anybody because everybody thinks it's weird. The first Sabbath when they took the offering, I'm in the back. I've had this new grandchild. And I'm back there patting the grandchild, just praying and praying for this offering. And a prayer partner who was upstairs and came down 
And he said, Janet, don't worry about the offering. It's going to be good. I said, you mean we're going to get our gold of a million? He goes, no, Janet, it's going to be two million. And I said, how did you know? And he says, how did I know what? How did you know we're praying for two million? He goes, well, I didn't. God just told me it's going to be two million. That first Sabbath, we hardly had any offering come in. We didn't even have a little over 100,000. That was it. That puts you on your face all week. You know why not much was coming in? Because people were praying about what they should give. That last Saturday night, it was, Jerry was speaking, and as he was getting mic'd up to go speak, the offering gold had come in. It was 900 and some thousand. It was close to being a million. And, you know, as it's announced, people would come running up to make it the million. It was just a few dollars away. As he's being mic'd up, this man comes up to him and says, how's your offering going? Now, this was a wealthy guy, but he'd never given to our evangelism offering, is what Jerry told me. I actually didn't know whoever gave, but he, Jerry said this. And Jerry said, he said to him, he said, well, we're going to make our gold. He said, we're within a few dollars of it, and I know people will give for that. And the guy says, oh, well, that's good, that's good. And Jerry says, yeah, but we got some crazy prayer partners who are praying for two million. And the guy says, are you serious? They're praying for two million? Jerry said, yeah, yeah, I know it's crazy. And the guy said, I don't believe this. And Jerry says, what, what's wrong? He says, well, my brother and I met this afternoon to pray about if we should give something. And, and he says, when we started praying, he says, I was thinking that what we'll do is just give enough to help you make it to a million, that we might give 100,000. He says, but as we prayed, we just were strongly impressed that we needed to give a million. And he says, and he's shaking because he says, I don't know how we're going to do this. And when he says this, the guy Mike and Jerry, you know, <laughs> starts to drop the mic and, and Jerry's going, what? But the guy that night filled out a pledge envelope for a million dollars. And when Jerry got up front and got to announce to that group that it was not a million, but that it was $2 million, you should have been in that room. People stood and started shouting and pointing to their God in the sky, pointing to their God that he is alive, he is mighty. We're told over and over we just need people who have faith, who pray and who believe. God is longing to do mighty things in our lives. And it isn't that we were demanding for God to do money. I don't believe, God, if you'll just give us three million, I don't believe we can demand of God to give us money. But what it was is we're praying, God, do something that'll show people that if they'll unite together, it unleashes your power. Because people don't get it. They, they'll pray for a little bit together, but things don't happen and they quit. God is amazing what he does. There's more to this story, but I have to quit. I'm so, and I know you just love to hear more, but you're falling asleep, so we're going to quit. But you think about it. You think about it. My little boy, my youngest kid, he'd come home from school in his Christmas time, and he'd come home running into the kitchen with this package he'd wrapped himself, a gift he'd made himself. And he'd say, Mommy, Mommy, can you guess what it is? And I'd say, I'd grab it and I'd shake it and try to guess what it was. And, and he'd say, how long till Christmas? And I'd tell him how long. And I'd say, go put it out in the living room. And so he'd go put it out there. But pretty soon he'd have it again. He'd, mommy, mommy, can you guess what I made you? How long till Christmas? When's it coming? He could not wait for Christmas so I could unwrap this gift 
to see what he'd made me because he loved me so much. And that's the way it is with our God. He'll wake you up early in the mornings. It's dark. It may be cold and you're miserable. You don't want to spend that time. But you go into that room and it's like it's jumping alive with God. He's so excited that I'm actually going to take time and sit still and let him talk to me. Let him love me through the Bible, through his word. That's our God. The creator of the universe wants to spend time with each one of us. How can we not have time? Jerry and I, two years ago, started working at the general conference. Do you know what the biggest problem is in that general conference? People are too busy. They're traveling all over the world. It's hard for them. They struggle. These are good, godly people there. By the way, you can be proud of your church. I have been so encouraged being there at our leaders. You know, Ted Wilson, this, this guy's a humble, spiritual leader who does what God's saying to do. I am sorry for the people who don't understand that. You may not agree with everything he says, but this is a godly leader. Humble man. But these people, they need your prayers for them to have the time they need with God. But Jerry and I were overwhelmed with this job and you want to be successful at it. And so you could work 24-7 to try to do everything and be successful. But we have determined we are going to make God first and spend that time with him, whether we sleep or eat or anything else, because there's no point. It becomes drudgery and misery if you don't have that joyful experience with Jesus Christ. As we close, would you just join me once again? in a, a group kind of prayer time, Oregon's where it started. Amen. Oregon's where it needs to continue till Jesus comes. Amen. And you can sit, you can kneel, however, stand if you want to, whatever you need to do so you stay awake. But let's just pray for a little bit. And I'm hoping that, that uh, maybe you're comfortable praying out loud. I know not everybody is, but I can't encourage you enough to get over it because you're missing out on so much fun when you don't. But just short sentence prayers. Lift up your faces. Pray loudly so we can all hear in this big room. Take your Bible. It's okay to have your eyes open. Ted hasn't told me that, but I think it is. Uh, have your eyes open and pray scripture or start up a song and we'll try to join you and sing. But let's just start with praises and thanksgiving and then I'll lead us on from there. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.